Hello and welcome back to the show. Today I'm going to talk about three key points. The first being progressive overload. The second being how to train for strength. And the third one is talking about the concept of junk volume. Today, the information that I'm giving you today is really focused in on optimization of your training and your program, which I know for many dads, especially new dads who are really busy, is something that they really would like to focus in on. And that's how to get the biggest return on investment from the time that they spend in the gym. So hopefully the information that I convey today can help you to achieve more optimal training, more effective training. And on that note, I would like to welcome you to Fitness for Fatherhood, the podcast helping first-time fathers find the time to regain their health and fitness to become the superhero dads their kids look up to. I'm Stacey Liddell, your host, a qualified personal trainer, two-time amateur physique competitor, and a freshly minted dad. I firmly believe that a healthy body and mind are the cornerstones to a fulfilling life. Get ready to gain actionable tools and strategies from real-life examples to take control of your health and fitness, to become the superhero dad your kids can look up to. All right, so let's dive straight into the first topic of this week. And first of all, I'm going to talk about progressive overload. And this is something that you no doubt have heard about in the fitness space or the bodybuilding space. And people tend to talk about progressive overload a lot. So what is progressive overload? This is basically making your workouts more difficult over time. And this is normally a gradual process. Your muscles are going to adapt to the stimulus of your training. And if you don't exercise more strenuously, or if you don't add strain and stress in the gym, your muscles are going to stop growing in size and in strength. And so the research has pointed out that progressive overload is a key driver for muscle gains. And a lot of people obviously then naturally ask the next question, well, what kind of stimulus is required for muscle gains? And, you know, in training, we've got this sort of very informal calculation, which is often reps times sets times weight. And that's your volume calculation. That's how much volume you're able to do or have done in a given session. And another thing that ties into this is what about strength athletes? Do they need progressive overload? And yes, of course they do. And strength is actually more a function of being able to lift heavy things than it is only about muscle gains and hypertrophy. So then I guess it opens up the door to other questions like, well, do we train once a week per body part? Do we spread that volume out? And this depends quite a lot on the individual, but you've got to think about how you can get as much volume as possible. How can you accumulate as much effective volume as possible so that you can achieve this progressive overload more easily? You don't want to make progressive overload overly difficult for yourself, right? Most people that I have spoken to or I deal with, I say to them, you don't often need to train a muscle group more than twice a week 
unless you're trying to do full body workouts or, or a different kind of split, then that twice a week kind of goal should be able to facilitate doing enough volume that you achieve progressive overload. Another question that often gets raised is, well, what about failure? Do I train to failure? Should I always train to failure? And again, it it really depends on the individual, but one huge caveat here is if you're a beginner and you're just starting out in the gym, I would avoid training to failure. And I think maybe a few eyebrows will be raised as a result of that. And my reason here are twofold, or my reasons here are twofold. The first one is safety. If you're not comfortable with the equipment in the gym and you're now trained to failure, you might increase your likelihood of having a gym accident. And the last thing I want to do is for you at the start of your workout journey to be involved in an injury or an accident that puts you out of commission and you can't go back to the gym for a while. The second factor is recovery. So the harder you push yourself in the gym, especially early on, the longer your recovery is going to take. Your body isn't adapted to lifting the heavy weights that you've now been moving or even the lighter weights that you've been moving for excessive volume. So if you're slowing down your recovery, it means you're less likely to go back to gym and train that same muscle group anytime soon. So it's counterproductive in the beginning, in my opinion, to go all the way to failure um, because of those two reasons. I think a lot of new lifters overlook how important recovery is. It is so vital that you get enough rest because your muscles actually need the rest in order to make the adaptions that you want to enable you to improve, grow, develop strength and hypertrophy. You don't want to unnecessarily be fatigued all the time. It's going to lead to suboptimal training in the future. Then another question worth answering is, can there be a thing or such a thing as too much progressive overload? And much like everything else in this world, yes, of course, too much progressive overload can actually be a bad thing. So what you want to do here to kind of mitigate this from happening is I recommend that you want to track your workouts so that you can see your progressive overload over time. And some people prefer to use the old school pen and paper to collect that information. I use an application. I have no affiliation with them, but the app really, really works well for me. So if you're looking for something to use that's a little bit easier to carry around with you in the gym, it's an app called Strong. And I'm pretty sure it's available on iOS. I have an Android device and I've got it on there. And I'm pretty sure iPhone has it as well. Oh, another point before I move on is Strong has a free version and there's a premium version. I use the free version and it has everything you need. I think the only thing that I can't necessarily do is save my workouts as templates. But I can revisit workouts that I've done in the past and access the previous workouts that I've done using like a history function. So I don't have to constantly create new uh, workouts every time I go to the gym, if that's something you're concerned about. Another thing that's really important when talking about progressive overload is to realize that it's not going to be a linear function forever. At the beginning, you're going to see that progressive overload 
is something that actually happens very naturally as we become more neurologically adapted, as our technique improves, you're going to see a lot of new personal bests early on in the beginning of the training. And over time, you're going to find that you hit what is so often called plateaus in the fitness community. You're going to find that certain exercises, you can't go above a certain weight for a certain number of reps. And once you reach this point, there's a lot of advanced training techniques that can assist lifters at that stage to bust through those plateaus. But if you're a beginner, these kinds of things are going to be less of a problem for you. And the final thing I want to say on progressive overload is that you don't want to become overly obsessed with this, right? The kind of obsession that can happen around progressive overload can often lead to injury because you're always pushing for that new personal best. You're always trying to break barriers and break records. Something to keep in mind is that progressive overload is just one tool, a very important tool, just one tool in the gym to help you grow muscle and develop. But don't get too caught up. It does eventually become a little bit counterproductive if that's all you're focusing on. So just to quickly wrap up on the key points there, number one, you do need progressive overload in order to continue to stimulate your muscles to grow. So over time, you want to gradually increase the stresses on the muscle. Number two, I think it's very important to track your progressive overload. So either paper and pen, or you can use an app like Strong, the one that I recommended earlier. And number three, don't be overly obsessed with progressive overload to the point of injury. Right. So let's move on to the second topic today. And I'm going to be talking about strength training. A lot of people that I communicate with don't only train for muscle growth, but they also train for powerlifting and strength strength gains. And I just want to share my thoughts on how you can train for strength. And I guess the first question to ask is, do I focus on volume or do I focus on intensity? Volume being, as I said earlier, you know, the reps times sets times weight. Intensity, as I use it, means the percentage of your one rep maximum that you're able to train. So, for example, if your one rep maximum is 100 kilos for a bench press, you can only push 100 kilograms once on the bench press. If you're training at an 85% intensity, it means that you're training with 85 kilos on the bench press. It's 85% of your one rep max. Hopefully that makes sense. So the very first thing we need to address when it comes to asking that question, volume or intensity, is how long is your time frame? In the short term, I've often found, and I think the research supports this, that your strength is going to be a function predominantly of increased intensity, especially early on for those of you who are new to lifting. In the short term, and by that I mean 45 to 90 days, so a month and a half to three months, focusing on higher intensity is going to cause rapid strength gains. And again, especially if you're a new lifter. And this has actually been replicated across many, many studies. 
And of course, I can already hear the voices shouting at me, but surely growth in muscle is going to equal growth in strength. And it does, but it's surprisingly less profound than a lot of people realize. And here I'm talking particularly in the short term. So in the short term, you're not really able to develop a whole lot of muscle. And so that strength increase is being driven by something else. And in most cases, it's that high intensity work, the ability to lift heavy things in the short term. My background and training from university is economics, and I also love finance. I've completed CFA Level 1 a few years ago, and I intend to do more CFA levels in the future. And why am I talking about finance on a bodybuilding podcast or a strength training podcast? Well, it's because I like to use some of the terms from the finance world, and one that I carry over into the world of fitness and bodybuilding and strength training is ROI, which is return on investment. I'm constantly asking myself, where can I see the most ROI? And for me, the answer has been to have both high-intensity training to make sure that I'm getting that kind of training so that I'm increasing my strength, but also not forgetting to focus on volume as well so that I'm not losing out on the long-term benefits of muscle gain. And I'll dig deeper into these two things as we progress forward on the show today. If you've listened to the podcast a few times already, you know that I like to look at research and I like to understand the science of training. And that's something that I picked up when I did my personal training certificate. It was heavily science-based and I really loved that. I like to be able to look at the theory and go out thereafter and see if it applies in the real world because oftentimes what happens inside the lab isn't always the same as what happens on the street. And in this case, when I started looking at the research, it's interesting that we don't really see long time frames when it comes to strength training. Oftentimes these studies are conducted over a few months, maybe three months or so. And so we don't really see these long-term one, two, three, four-year studies, obviously because it would be really hard to make sure that everyone's stuck to a study for a significant length of time. So there are limitations to the studies that we do have. And if you're somebody who's aiming to lift long-term, that's something just to keep in mind. So in the studies that we have, it's predominantly focused on the short-term, And that's where we see that high-intensity work really helping strength in the short term. In the long term, we don't really have the data, but I would suggest that long term, you're going to find that if you don't build enough muscle, you're not going to reach your full strength potential. As I mentioned earlier, when we start to train, and in the short term, the reason why these increases happen so rapidly in strength are actually more linked to your neurological adaptions. So the brain figuring out how to do the movement in an effective and efficient way. And also you're kind of learning the technique while you're starting to train, right? So in the beginning, you might not know the best technique for bench press, squat, deadlift, or one of the other movements in, in weightlifting. 
And once you get the form locked down, you're going to see natural strength progressions just from doing the exercise in the correct manner. Now, what happens is those two adaptions, the neurological adaption and the form adaption, those can obviously eventually max out. And then what's going to matter a whole lot more in the long run is your ability to develop and grow muscle. So while we should focus on high intensity and lower volume in the short run, I think it's also good to add a a staple of volume-based training so that we get enough stimulus for muscle growth in the long run. So we've got to play a balancing act the whole time. You can't have everything, right? You've got to you've got to pick and choose your winners and your losers. So we kind of have a conflict with our short-term and our long-term goals. In the short-term, we really want that high-intensity work. In the long-term, we want that volume-based training. And this is often why if somebody's new to training and wants to get into powerlifting, my first real recommendation to them is in your first five years of weightlifting and weight training, Go for size. Aim to put on as much muscle as possible. Get swole. Try to get as big as possible. And then, yes, in the short term, you might find that you're not as strong as you could have been. But in the long term, you're not going to have any downside because you've built the muscle that you need. And now you can start doing that high-intensity work to really focus in and hone your strength. Another important thing to look at here is is actual powerlifters, competitive powerlifters, and what they look like. And if you've ever watched powerlifting, you might have noticed that shorter lifters, shorter powerlifters, often win the divisions. And you may ask yourself, well, why is that? Why is it that short people seem to have an advantage? Now, there are perhaps other advantages of being short for weightlifting and powerlifting, Um, in terms of leverage and things like that. But something that I want to focus in on here is that powerlifting is a weight-based sport, much like fighting is, right? You, You compete in weight classes. And so shorter men and women that weigh the same as taller men and women, what is the one advantage that they tend to have? They would have probably built more muscle in order for them to weigh the same as somebody who's taller than them. So they are walking around with much more muscularity than their taller compatriots in the same weight class. And obviously, this must show that there is a link between muscular development and strength. Of course, it makes sense, right? You have more muscle, you have more strength. And so this ties into what I've been saying already, And I just hope that you can see that if you're somebody who's training and using this short-term kind of training with the high-intensity, lower volume, and you're starting to see that your training is reaching a plateau, this is a point where you might want to start playing with your intensity and your volume. And oftentimes you'll see that these plateaus actually fall away. I've seen this happen many a time with people that I know and people that I've advised to change up their training a little bit. I think that what happens in a lot of cases, and it's happened to me as well in the past, especially when I was younger, when we see progress in a given kind of training modality, we get stuck 
in this training modality because it's working for us. And then the problem is, eventually, we gain all the benefit we can out of that kind of training. And then we hit a plateau and we don't really know what to do. And it's normally at that point when I would suggest trying something different. If you are a more advanced or intermediate lifter, there are some advanced techniques to to try. If you're a beginner who's only really focused in on that low intensity, sorry, high intensity, low volume kind of training, then as I mentioned, we want to start playing with with volume and intensity and and get you out of the rut that you might have found yourself in. All right, so here are the key points before wrapping up this topic will be you're going to have to balance your long-term goals with your short-term goals. If you're desperate and you are doing a powerlifting meet in the short term, then I would recommend high-intensity, low-volume training to build that strength up quickly. If you focus more on four or five years down the line, definitely focus on hypertrophy first, build that muscle, and then hone in and focus on lifting heavier things with high-intensity, low-volume training. And as always, there's going to have to be a balance between the two here if you want to get the optimal success out of your training program. The final topic today, and it kind of links back to volume, which we've spoken about in progressive overload and again in strength training, and that is junk volume. And you know, I often get the question, is all volume productive? Does all volume count? And the short answer would be yes. Of course, anything that you do is going to have some kind of positive effect, but not all volume is 100% optimal and efficient. And the way that I would define junk volume is that if you're in the gym using your time and energy, but you're getting suboptimal strength and hypertrophy gains, that would be considered junk volume. So it's less than 100% efficient and effective in your training. So perhaps I can start off by saying that there are three general types of junk volume that tend to be most common. The first type is excessive volume. And I know that some of you are already surprised by that. Is there such thing as excessive volume? And I think it's best illustrated by an example. So perhaps you're training squats. You've done your warm-up sets and now you want to do your first working set. You decided that you want to try and hit a rep range of about 8 to 10 reps and you you do the the set. After 8 reps, you realize, wow, this has actually been a tough set and you re-rack the bar. You're close to failure, right? Maybe one or two reps away from failure. That is what I would call an effective set. You're doing work that is effective and it's adding and contributing to your hypertrophy and strength, it's effective volume. Now, let's say you go on to do another two sets just like that. They're difficult, they're tough, they're close to failure. Those are effective sets, right? That's great. That's a great squatting workout. What happens if you decide now, instead of finishing at those three sets, to do five more sets? So your total set count is going to be eight sets, not three. And this is something that I touched on in a previous episode. It's called diminishing returns to exercise. And the research is clear on this. The more sets you do on a given day, 
the less and less effective work or gains and benefits you're going to get out of subsequent sets. And continuing on that, the research suggests that normally most people tend to max out at about six sets per muscle group per workout. So if you're someone who does want to train high volume with their squats, if they want to do eight squats in a given week, my recommendation would be, how about you split that workout in two? How about you do your four sets today of squats and spend the rest of your time training something else that you would have used the other four sets time for and put the other four sets on another day. Now you're obviously going to have to structure that in such a way that there's enough recovery between those two workouts. But I mean, that's possible, right? If you do it Monday and Thursday or Monday and Friday, you shouldn't have a problem with recovering before doing it again. And it also means that when you're training, when you're doing eight sets, especially of big compound lifts, they're very, very taxing. So once that fatigue sets in, perhaps your form and your focus isn't quite as good. You're not able to put in that maximum effort because you're feeling tired and fatigued already. So another thing about splitting up the workouts is that I find that it allows me to really zone in on form and technique and to really put all my effort into my lifts without being overly fatigued. Um, And just going back to that six set recommendation, six sets per muscle group per workout is really just your starting point. I can't account for all the individual variability that is out there in the population. So if you find that six sets doesn't feel like quite enough for you, maybe you are an eight set person. If six sets feels too much for you, maybe you're a four set person. You really have to play with that and see what works best for you. And your focus here needs to really look at progression. Are you progressing well when you're doing eight sets or is it hindering your progression? Are you able to recover when you're doing eight sets in a session? Or are your legs sore for an extended period of time and now you can't actually train them effectively the next time? These are things that we have to always balance and consider when designing our programs. And perhaps a personal illustration here can show you how I go about my current training. At the moment, I'm able to train four or five times a week, depending on my other commitments. And what I tend to do is I split my my volume out over those four or five sessions. So I'm doing 15 or 16 sets per muscle group per week. And for me, that seems to be the sweet spot. And if we look at the science, what the science says, it does show that most people benefit in the 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week. So some people Again, individual variability. Some people tend to go up high towards that 20 set number. Some people prefer to go down towards that 10 set number. That's something that over time you'll find your sweet spot and you'll find something that works for you. Another thing to mention here is that, yes, and while there is individual variability between people, there's also variability between your muscles. And I've often found that my bigger muscle groups, like the back and the legs, they tend to handle more volume and are able to recover better than the smaller muscle groups. And I guess that kind of makes sense. There's more muscle and more muscle fibers to activate and to fatigue in the bigger muscle groups 
so it takes longer and more work to do so. And the last thing I want to talk about here when it comes to excessive volume or excessive sets is I know a lot of people are still using bro splits and look, of course, bro splits have worked for the longest time and they do work especially for beginners because in the start you kind of, any volume is going to work in your favor. But something to really think about when doing bro splits, and I used to do bro, bro splits in high school, so I was also somebody who entered the fitness and bodybuilding space without really knowing much about how to break up volume and things like that. And I did them for a really long time, I think maybe two or three years. And what you realize with a bro split is you're going to accumulate a ton of junk volume. If you're just doing you know, chest on a Monday, think of how much unnecessary volume you're doing that you could actually split up over the week and make it far more effective and that's just something to think about if you are someone who's still running a bro split and is finding that you're reaching some plateaus in terms of of progress and also if you're struggling to recover from these heavy heavy singular focused muscle group workouts the second form of junk volume is something known as easy sets and i'm guessing that from the name, you're probably able to deduce what this is about. And the thing is here, and the reality is here, that most of us don't train nearly as hard when we reach an intermediate or advanced level of lifting to make any real progress. And my advice to you here is you're really going to have to start pushing yourself once you reach the intermediate or advanced phase of lifting. You're going to want to be getting quite close to failure you know sometimes training all the way to failure if you need to um, but most times keeping it in a naught to three reps from failure range and so each set has to be really tough and difficult and you know how I tend to do this is if I'm finding that I'm coasting a little bit in a workout in my last set of a given exercise I will push it to failure if I haven't felt that I've done enough in the in that particular exercise on the day. And the final thing I want to touch on is the last form of junk volume, which is ultra high rep sets. And this is something that I wasn't really familiar with until doing a little bit of research into this episode today. And apparently there are people out there doing sets of 40 or 50 Uh, reps per set and that's something that I've never really done the most I've ever done is probably about 20 or 30 reps in a set and that was again back in high school when I was messing around trying different kinds of of reps in sets to see if there's any benefit or if I preferred one style to the other and so if you're doing these longer volume sets like 40 or 50 reps you have to realize that there is a ton of fatigue that you accumulate across that set. And in most cases, you're better off increasing the weight and doing less reps and focusing more on increasing your volume through adding weight. Yeah, and that's kind of the the last point on today's episode. And so just to wrap up on junk volume... Junk volume is when we are committing time and energy to training 
but we're not making the most out of the workouts that we're doing. A good thing to think about is a starting point of six sets per muscle group per workout and then to adjust thereafter. And the final key point is think about your fatigue that you're accumulating. If your sets are really, really long in the high rep range, 40, 50 reps per set, Think about the impact that that's having on your fatigue and your ability to perform multiple sets like that and whether adding weight and reducing the reps would be more beneficial. And on the flip side of that, if your training is too easy, think about pushing yourself a little bit harder, getting closer to failure on each set, especially for those of you who are intermediate or advanced lifters. And with that, I can wrap up the show. Thank you so much for listening. Today went a little bit longer than the normal 25 minutes and I do appreciate you sticking around to the end of the show. And until next time, please stay safe, stay strong and be the dad that your kids can look up to.